Hi, and welcome to the Wise Women's Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Angela Council. And with a background as a naturopath, I thought I knew exactly what happened to women when they reached menopause until I experienced it myself. I then realized that there was so much more to this time of life than what was written in the textbooks. I decided it was time to bring this stage of life out of the closet and to have some open and honest conversations with women who are going through the same journey. Wise Women's Conversation has been created to share information and experiences from other wise women in our community. Sit back and listen to the wise women speak. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Wise Women's Conversation. And my name is Angela Council, your host for today's episode. Now, firstly, I want to say sorry because I actually haven't put any episodes out for the last couple of weeks. It's been lots of stuff going on in my life and I unfortunately didn't have any um, interviews ready to go. So I had to just put a bit of a pause on the podcast while I sorted things out with everything that was going on in my life. But I am in the middle of recording some new um, interviews and conversations with other great women. So hopefully I'll be able to bring them to you very, very soon. But what I thought I'd have a chat with you today about is the relationship between the food we eat, um, our hormones and how you experience menopause. And a lot of um, women probably don't realize that there's a very, very strong link between our food, the way our body's functioning, and the symptoms that can come up as your hormones start to shift as you move through your perimenopause and menopause transition. So in previous um, episodes, I have spoken to you a little bit about what happens with your hormones as they start to change and how they can um, impact the way that you feel. And um, sometimes with some women, they will experience different things like hot flushes, insomnia. Big one is um, problems losing weight. Um, Even though women don't change the food they're eating or the way they're exercising, they're finding that um, the weight doesn't shift as easy as it it used to. And in fact, they're gaining weight for no obvious reasons. And uh, we kind of just put this down to hormones as a general you know, it's just hormones. But we've got to look at which hormones we're talking about because in particular, many women are insulin resistant. Um, and this is caused by the diet that, um, you know, the 21st century diet that many women are eating. Also, we've got insulin resistance, might also be thyroid. So um, undiagnosed hypo, so low thyroid um conditions are quite common and um, there's a very high level or incidence of women who have what we call subclinical hypothyroidism. So what we mean by that, it's it's actually not enough to be diagnosed as a disease. And if you went to see a doctor and got your thyroid levels checked, I mean, that only check your TSH levels generally and TSH actually isn't a thyroid hormone. It's not produced by the thyroid. It's produced by the pituitary gland. But um, nine times out of 10, you'll be told there's nothing wrong with your thyroid. Um, Just go away and you're just eating too much or you're not exercising enough. That's the reason why you're putting on weight. But subclinical means that there is something wrong with your thyroid, but it's not bad enough now for that you're 
blood test results to show a disease. Now, doctors are generally only looking for disease because they treat disease. They've got drugs that treat diseases. When you don't have something that they can label as a disease, they can't treat you because they don't have a drug to treat um, something that doesn't that isn't considered to be a disease. And that's just the way of the medical um, medical world, the paradigm in which they work, is they work in the naming and treating of disease. And if you're not in a disease state, they don't know what to do with you. And I'm sure more, quite a few of you have been to the doctor and basically been told all your t- blood tests are okay, there's nothing wrong with you, you're imagining it, you're not, you're not eating properly, whatever, but in essence, you're dismissed. But there can quite often be something going on and you will know yourself how you feel. And what the what we'd all like to feel is we'd like to feel full of energy. We'd like to have optimal health. And that's what we're aiming for is optimal health, not just an absence of a diagnosed disease. And so what I'm going to talk to you about today is how you can move yourself towards that optimum health and do it with food. Now, as we all know, food is integral to life. We, without food, we don't survive. But there are many um, people out there who are eating, who aren't actually eating food, they're not eating nutrition. Um, they're actually eating food like products. So a lot of the processed um, stuff, for a better word, that um, people are eating is not really food. It's made in um, laboratories. It's made in factories. There's very little of the original source material left in there because it's been changed so much. So we can't really call that food. Um it's food-like substances and in most cases these food-like substances are very devoid of nutrients or what can happen is nutrients are added back as a marketing thing to say oh it's really high in b vitamins or whatever but the nutrients that are added back are not the natural forming nutrients that you get in the real food they're synthetic nutrients in some cases things like iron like fortified iron if you actually look at some cereals if you grabbed a magnet and ran a magnet over these cereals that are fortified with iron you would actually pick up really really fine iron filings and that's what they put into cereals and foods that they say are fortified with iron it's it's actual bits of iron which as you can imagine is not highly absorbed by the body and it will just pass straight back out again so it is important that we're eating real food food that comes from nature and as close as possible to its natural source now if you can afford to eat organic eat organic if you can't afford to eat organic that's okay but um, you can always um, clean your fruits and vegetables off to get rid of the chemicals but when you're doing that, you'll need more than water because these chemicals are designed to stick to the fruits and vegetables during rain. So a really good way to clean your, your fruits and vegetables is using um, vinegar in water and the vinegar will actually help to cut through that wax and to remove the chemical. If you've got foods which are very hard to, to clean, that's where I'd say go for an organic um, option. So things like broccoli. 
broccoli is very hard to clean because it has all those tiny little flowerets. Cauliflowers the same, strawberries are the same. So have them organic and the other other things that you can clean or that have a thick skin will then use them. Um, you can do them non-organic. So let's talk a little bit about food, our gut, stress and all of that that comes together. If you've listened to previous episodes, I've spoken a lot about stress and that for uh, for the majority of women, the underlying cause of hormonal imbalances and symptoms that are associated with menopause is stress. As I've mentioned in the past, that as our hormones start to naturally decline, our adrenal glands have the ability to actually produce some of these reproductive hormones. And that, and that kind of slows down the descent of the hormones as the reproductive system starts to shut itself down. But if we're highly stressed, our adrenal glands can't make these reproductive hormones because they've only, there's only limited resources available and the body will always make the hormones to support the adrenals, so our cortisol, our stress hormones, before reproductive hormones. And the reason for this being is we need to stay alive and cortisol is a hormone that kind of keeps us alive, whereas reproductive hormones don't keep us alive. So the body will always put all of its resources towards keeping itself alive. So we really do need to be looking at what causes stress in our body and seeing where we can reduce that. Now, Obviously, we're aware of the emotional stress that many of us are under, you know, the, the argument we have with our kids, our partners or whatever, and all the emotional stress. But over and above that, the body is being stressed by the toxins that we're being exposed to in the, in the environment all of the time. That stresses our body. The toxins that we create within our body because of poor gut health, overgrowth of unhealthy bacteria, foods that we're eating, which the liver is unable to process properly, so it um, creates more toxins. Nutrient deficiency, so if we don't have enough um, nutrients to for our body to function at its optimal um, level, that causes stress in the body. Not getting enough sleep causes stress in the body, so all of these things cause stress. And when we're stressed, this impacts our hormones. As I said, it impacts the reproductive hormones. It also um, affects our thyroid hormones and it also affects insulin, which is um, the hormone that is um, very much related to us holding weight around our stomach. Now, if you're finding that um, the majority of the weight that you're holding is around your stomach, generally that will either be due to high cortisol levels, which is high stress, or high insulin levels. So that's where, because when we're highly stressed, our body will actually store fat because in the primitive part of our brain, it doesn't know when it's going to get fed again. It thinks it's we're in a feast or famine. Um, it thinks that the body's in danger. So it stores fat in case it, there's no food around. So, and it will store fat around the stomach because that's where our most delicate organs are and it's to protect the body. So it stores it around the stomach. Uh, and that's why where most women find that when as they move into this stage of life is they struggle to lose weight from around their stomach. It doesn't matter what they do. So once we've, um, if the hormones are starting to shift, that's when you start to experience um, symptoms such as 
hot flushes, insomnia, joint pain, lots of different symptoms that are often associated with the menopause transition. So it's really important that we um, look at the food that we're eating and we start with making sure that our gut is working properly because if our gut's not working properly and we've got um, either an overgrowth of unhealthy bacteria, as I said, that can cause um, stress in the body because it creates toxins or we're not we're not um, able to um, absorb the nutrients from the food that we are eating, then the the body stresses itself and this um, can cause issues with our hormones so we've got to, our focus has got to be to um, increase the level of good bacteria within our gut now we can do that through using probiotics or what we call prebiotic foods and I'm going to be talking about that in a little bit um, making sure that our liver is eliminating all toxins as um, efficiently as it can and I'll talk about that in a minute as well making sure that we're actually putting the food in our body, which is actually good for our body, that's high in nutrition and is not toxic. And that's using real food. We really also need to be um, looking at inflammatory foods. When we eat um, foods that are inflaming in the body, this can um, affect our hormones. It can cause more um, joint pain in particular and fibromyalgia type pain, muscle pain, generalized pain. And because when our estrogen levels drop, um, estrogen is an anti-inflammatory. And as your estrogen levels drop, you lose the protection of estrogen. So if you're eating foods which cause inflammation in your body, you're more likely to be experiencing um, these type of symptoms. And bloating is another symptom as well. So we do need to lower um, highly inflammatory foods. And the, the most common inflammatory foods are... Um, your gluten-based foods, dairy is also very inflammatory, processed foods is very inflammatory. For some people, um, red meats or too much red meats can also be quite inflammatory. So, And any foods that you might be sensitive to can also cause inflammation. It's important that we balance the insulin levels as well, and that's making sure that we um, control the amount of carbohydrates, uh, the simple carbohydrates that we consume, and um, limit the amount that um, is coming in. So that's that's really our blood sugars, making sure that we're not having highly sugary foods, which um, come primarily from processed sources. If we look at things like fruit and vegetables, yes, they have are high in sugar, but they're also high in fiber, which which slows down the sugar response, um, the fiber in the food. Um, has less of a load um, on the pancreas, so insulin isn't quite as bad. Now, one thing you can do um, is to increase um, your digestion and to get your first thing in the morning to get your digestive processes you know, often moving is um, having some apple cider vinegar every day. So apple cider vinegar and lemon. So um, I generally go with um, a half a half a lemon, the juice of half a lemon, um, about a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, and then uh, put that in water. Um, eat, drink that down. That kind of kind of kickstarts your digestive system, wakes the liver up first thing in the morning, and then always follow with a glass of water after that only because the lemon can be a little bit acidic on your teeth and for some people that can actually impact um, their their dental health. Um, but when it's, it comes to um, 
the foods that we eat. I mean, there's so many diets out there. There's, you know, that we can be vegetarian, we can be paleo, we can be keto, we can be vegan, and it can get really, really confusing for women. They're really confused as to what is the ideal diet. And I have to tell you that there is no ideal diet for everyone. It just depends on your body. The ideal um, eating plan or way of living is to be eating whole foods, to be eating real foods, not processed foods, foods that are coming from nature. But depending on your body depends on whether or not you should be eating, um, or you, whether you thrive on um, animal products or you thrive on plant-based products. Now, I use a platform called PH360, which um, it basically look it starts at looking at what your genetic makeup is and then from your genetic makeup, it then um, looks at the epigenetics. So if you haven't heard of epigenetics, that means above the genes. But it's the um, the things that we do in our life that either switch genes on or off. And I've, I heard it recently described as if you think of your genes like the, the piano and it has all of the keys, the epigenetics is the tune that you play, the, the which notes that you play to give you the the tune, that is what epigenetics does. So using both your genetic makeup and your epigenetics, we're able to, using the PH360 platform, um, determine what's the right um, food for you specifically. So what foods are best for you? What time you should be eating? Is intermittent fasting good for you? Is it not good for you? Um, whether or not you should be having your biggest meal at breakfast or at dinner time or lunchtime. So we're able to actually look at all of that by just taking up quite a few measurements and um, you answer quite a few different questions. And I've been working with this platform for a few months now and I'm, I'm getting some really great results personally and also with clients. It, it's amazing how, um, how detailed this is and how correct the outcomes are. So it is important that we look at the type of foods that you're eating and are you eating the right foods for your body? The next thing we need to be looking at is making sure that we're getting enough healthy fats. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably grew up in the same environment that I grew up, which is the low fat era, the the time of life when we were all told that we had to be afraid of fat, that we shouldn't have fat because fat was unhealthy for us. And if we had too much fat, we we're going to all die of heart, heart disease and all of this. And every food that we were you know, recommended that you, you go and buy, and even today you still see everything is no fat, low fat. So we became afraid of fat. The thing is, we need fats to create hormones. So healthy fats and cholesterol are required to create hormones. Hormones are steroid-based hormones, which means they're made from cholesterol. We need to um, we make the liver makes cholesterol in our body. We don't need to be worrying about um, whether or not foods give us cholesterol or or, or not. Um, and to be very clear, cholesterol does not come from any plants. So you cannot get cholesterol from plants because cholesterol is made in the liver. Plants don't have a liver. Yes, you can get cholesterol plant, uh, sorry, dietary um, based uh, cholesterol from animal products. 
but you cannot get it from plants. So which is why I love, I just think it's so ironic when you um, see this, the marketing out there with a cholesterol-free avocado. Avocados have always been cholesterol-free. It's like, it's just like, the marketing people kind of pick up on the the latest um, fad to push back to people. So, but the liver makes cholesterol and we need cholesterol to, uh, as I said, create hormones. If we don't have enough cholesterol um, in our, in our diet, in, in our body, we don't have enough hormones. So we need to be putting the healthy fats in so that our liver can make the the cholesterol that makes the hormones that we require. So we spent many, many years, most of our life, being afraid of eating fats. And what that has done is it's impacted our hormones and it's made our hormones go out of balance. And many women, as they come to this transitional stage of their life, their hormones are already out of balance. So when they start to shift, um, and you know, progesterone comes down and estrogen starts to come down, but they're coming down at different rates and we get too much estrogen, not enough progesterone, and testosterone disappears. It gets even further out of balance and that's what causes the symptoms. So it's really important that we get healthy fats in our diet. But once again, the amount of fats and when you should be eating them depends on your particular body type. Now, the other thing that will help for, um, help, help you with your digestion and get your gut working properly um, is digestive enzymes. Now, we, our body does make its own digestive enzymes, but we, we kind of run out. Um, by the time we get to our, um, our early 30s, our, di- our natural digestive um, enzymes are actually starting to decrease. And if we're not eating the right foods, they decrease even faster. So there are some foods which are high in enzymes, which if we eat lots of them will actually help to increase our natural um, enzymes. Uh, pineapple is one of them. Pawpaw is another one. So there's a few foods that actually do have these enzymes in them. But for many people, if they're finding that they're struggling with the, their digestive system, um, and that might be a sluggish bowels, um, bloating, gas, um, heartburn, so food just doesn't seem to be being broken down or it just seems to be sitting in your stomach, to actually taking um, a digestive enzyme may actually be useful for you. So you can get different digestive enzymes um, that are created to break down proteins, fats, um, starches, so carbohydrates. Uh, and by having them just before a meal or in particular before your largest meal, it will just help to digest that a little bit easier. I mean, if you're eating, having a meal that's got soup or something or that's already digested, you probably don't need your um, enzymes. But if you're having something that's got meat or something that's hard to digest, well, then using the enzymes will help. Now, I spoke earlier about um, putting more what we call prebiotic foods um, into your diet. Now, most people have heard probiotics. So probiotics, we purchase probiotics and basically they are probiotic um, capsules, are like a fo- frozen form of various strains of bacteria. And when you put that into your, when you take that, that capsule, that then starts to populate the bacteria within your gut. And then there's a, and whilst it's great to have probiotics, there are some limitations is that 
Sometimes if you continue to take the same probiotic, you're only getting a limited strain. You're not getting a wide um, strain, which means you might actually get an imbalance within your gut as to you might not have a full um, colony of the right strains of bacteria. But using um, prebiotic food, what prebiotic food does is actually feeds the bacteria that you have already in your gut so that it can it can um, grow. You can grow more of them. And um, some of these foods I'm going to mention also have different bacterias and yeasts um, already in them. But if you, you look at things like um, kefir, kefir is really high. It's actually got, um, it's got probiotics in it, but it also um, has the prebiotic foods in it, bone broth, your fermented foods, um, kombucha, all of those type of foods. So sauerkraut, kimchi, um, onions is very good. Um, we can also look at some resistant starches. They're very good for feeding the bacteria as well. And the easiest way to get resistant starch, um, there's a couple. One is um, a green banana flour is a very high resistant starch. And another easy way to do it is to get some potatoes and uh, boil them up and let them go cold. So let them sit for 24 hours and a chemical reaction happens in those um, potatoes which then makes it very high in resistant starch. So then you can eat those potatoes, um, those, those cold, you can actually reheat them if you want, um, but because once they've gone cold, the chemical reaction happens and then it becomes a prebiotic food. So it's a really great resistant starch. So you can include resistant starch. Now, I will make a note that sweet potato is not included in that. Sweet potato isn't really a potato. Um, it belongs to another family. I'm not quite sure which one, but it's not actually a potato. Um, so yeah, so you can actually get um, you can actually get the resistant starch uh, from those cold potatoes and banana flour. Uh, also, just be very careful um, taking too much fermented food to start with, particularly if you know you've got a gut problem, because having um, putting too much, um, thing, you know, I see people who are drinking bottles and bottles of kombucha or kefir, and they're finding that they get very bloated. Um, generally, we need to deal with sometimes if that happens, um, number one, it could be what we call known as a histamine reaction, uh, because these foods are high in histamine and if your gut is out of balance, really out of balance, well then um, you can have a histamine reaction. So sometimes we need to do a little bit of gut work first. So starting with some really healing foods, um, slippery elm is really great to help um, heal the inside of the gut lining and then using the other, you know, bone broth is fantastic for healing. And over time, you'll be able to then increase your fermented foods. And But, you know, only start with a tablespoon a day and then just work yourself up. Now, alongside with these prebiotic foods um, is fiber. Now, uh, fiber is also um, really great for um, as a prebiotic food for feeding the really good bacteria. It also helps, obviously, helps your gut move. So if you tend to constipation, it actually helps with the, the bowel movements. Now, you can get fiber from all different fruits and vegetables. And the, the more fibrous it is, the better legumes, um, whole grains. But I would suggest that you go for gluten-free whole grains because gluten in itself has got an issue um, in that it's quite inflammatory. And when you've got enough fiber in your diet, that will actually help to um, maintain your weight because you tend not to eat as much. 
um, when you've got foods that are highly fibrous. And this is why foods such as um, why the difference between having an orange and drinking orange juice. Um, to drink orange juice, you, you know, it, it can take up to six oranges to make a glass of orange juice and we've removed all of the fiber and basically what we've left is the water and the sugar where if you ate, you couldn't eat six oranges in one go because it's so filling because of all the fiber. So you're actually better off to eat the whole fruit even though it does have sugar in it. Um, Fiber also decreases your risk of um, diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, so heart disease, and some type of cancers like bowel bowel cancer. It will help to regulate insulin and leptin as well, which are all um, involved in your hunger and um, the the meta- your metabolism. Now, liver. We've spoken a little bit about liver, and it's really important that we do support the liver because the liver is where. Um, hormones are manufactured using the cholesterol that the liver makes and broken down and excreted. So anything that's no longer required by the body needs to be removed from the body. And should you have what we know as xenoestrogens, which are toxic um, estrogenic hormones, the liver needs to remove them because um, having too much of that in your body will cause big problems. So it is important that we support the, the liver and the liver also clears toxins out of the body. Um, and, and just keeps the body eliminating what it doesn't require. Now, if you've got a sluggish liver, it will um, affect your hormones. As I said, one, because you're not making the right level of cholesterol to um, produce hormones, you're not clearing the excess hormones, and it's causing a stress on the body because you've got to, the, bo- the body becomes too toxic, which is stressful, and that's stressing, which means that the adrenal glands then go into flight and fight mode, which releases cortisol, and it just keeps going round and round and round. So some really great ways to support the liver. One is obviously eating whole foods, clean foods, and as much organic as you possibly can, reducing your exposure to chemicals, um, environmental chemicals, uh, personal care, all of that, re- reducing as much chemical exposure as possible. Um, there, You can do um, a green smoothie, which includes um, celery, apple, um, ginger, a bit of coriander, some parsley, beetroots, lemon juice, um, and a bit of ice, kind of mix all that together. The apple, the apple will um, give it a little bit of a sweeter taste. Green apples are probably better. Um, And then just down that. So it's a really great um, liver supporting um, detox smoothie, as we call it, or dandelion root coffee. So if you can get dandelion coffee, uh, it's called coffee. It's not really coffee. It's actually it's more a tea, but um, it looks like coffee and people use it as a replacement for the real stuff. So supporting the liver is really, really important. Um, Now, thyroid. Now, as I mentioned before, the thyroid um, helps to uh, regulate your weight and your metabolism and a lot of women um, have an underactive thyroid so it's really important that we look at um, how we can support the thyroid now i am going to do another um, episode totally de- um, devoted to the thyroid health so i'm not going to go into too much right now but it's important um, two really key nutrients for the thyroid is magnesium um, and iodine. Now, the place where you'll get lots of magnesium is raw cacao. It's one of the reasons why women love their chocolate, but um, not your milk chocolate. You need to be going for raw cacao, dark leafy greens, some of your nuts and seeds, almonds, all high in magnesium. And iodine is the other nutrient that's required by the um 
the thyroid and you'll get that from um, lots of sea vegetables, seaweeds, sea salt is all in um, iodine. And selenium is another um, key and nutrient, which is very hard to get because many of our soils are really deplete in selenium. But Brazil nuts will make a big difference. Um, just having a couple of Brazil nuts um, every day, which are high in selenium, obviously organic if possible, will help to bring your um, selenium levels up. Um, if you do have a known thyroid problem or suspected, uh, always uh, avoid gluten. Gluten um, is very anti-inflammatory and impacts the thyroid. Um, and what we know is goitrogen foods and only really only if it's uncooked, so raw goitrogens. And that's um, things like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, all those type of foods. Um, they're okay if they're cooked. Um, but just don't have them raw. So um, as I said, I'm going to do a lot more on um, the thyroid in, an, in another episode. So I'll go into that a lot more deeper and go through a lot more of the different foods. Um, and also other foods, foods that we know as phytoestrogens. So these are plant-based estrogens and they're actually, uh, particularly as we're going through um, the menopause transition, they will support your body as your natural um, estrogens are starting to drop. These, these foods will actually support your body um, and basically replace some of the estrogen that you're losing that your body is no longer um, producing. So some really great foods, the two highest um, uh, phytoestrogen type foods are soy. Now with soy, um, it is important. We're not, we're not talking about um, processed soy milk and all these soy products and these um, these fake soy products. It's it's real soy, so um, real soybeans, so edamati beans. Um, also, um, you know things like your tempeh, so your fermented uh, tofu's. Some tofu's are okay. You just need to be looking at. They need to be organic. We just have to be really careful because a lot of soy is. Um, genetically modified it's also sprayed with glyphosate and that's actually a big issue but soy is a really great um, phytoestrogen and so are linseeds um, so linseeds are tiny black um, brown um, seeds and or then also known as flaxseed so you'll get it as a meal it's called a flaxseed meal um, that's really high once again make sure that you are getting that organic um, if you are if you want ground so um, what we call LSA linseed sunflower and almonds do that yourself don't buy it from the um, supermarket already ground because it's been sitting there for so long and it's likely to be oxidized um, other foods sunflowers as i said sesames um, legumes and parsley are also high in um, phytoestrogens um, so uh, i'm just going to wrap that up now and um, you know i've gone through quite some of the uh, you know Foods that are important to help balance your hormones and help reduce stress in your body so that you can minimize your symptoms and move through this stage of life um, with relative ease. Hopefully that has been useful for you. Now, if you're interested and you want to find out a little bit more, particularly about the PH360 program that um, I use when I work with my clients, um, if you want to find out what your personal profile is and what foods work for you, please feel free to contact me. You can, um, I'll, in the show notes, I'll put um, a link to have a, a free discovery call with me. Or if you go to my Facebook page and that's Facebook, which is Angela Council on Facebook, or go to my website, www.angelacouncil.com, go to the work with me page 
and scroll down until you get to discovery call. Just click on that, book a complimentary 30-minute call with me and I'll go through some of this stuff with you. I'll get an idea of where you're at, what you're up to and you know, get you on the right path or if you want to take further um, action and work with me longer, I'll share with you how you can do that. So that's it from me for this week. I thank you very much for joining me and once again, I apologize for the break that we've had with these episodes. I'm going to try and keep them up to date, but I may go back to fortnightly just for the time being. Um, and then I try and bring them back up to weekly as I get a few interviews um, recorded in, 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 the, in the can, as they say. So thank you so much for listening. From my heart to yours, infinite love and gratitude. Bye for now. Did you enjoy that episode of the Wise Women's Conversations podcast? Please let me know what you thought by leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening to this episode. It just helps other women find us. Do you know someone who might benefit from learning how she too can navigate her menopause with ease? Then why not share this podcast with her? You can continue the conversation in our private Facebook group called Thrive in Menopause. So why not pop over there and join us? Or if you want to get further information about how to navigate menopause with ease, why not sign up for the free video series called Thrive in Menopause. Visit bit.ly forward slash thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E with a capital T underscore register, capital R-E-G-I-S-T-E-R, and you'll be able to get immediate access to that video series. So I want to thank you for listening today. And remember, you are a wise woman. From my heart to yours, infinite love and gratitude. Bye for now.